What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. I employ thousands of Mexicans. I've employed 
Over the years, many thousands of Mexicans. I love the Mexican people, Trump said. They're fantastic. Everybody knows that. In terms of the border, it's a disgrace. Either we have a border or we don't have a country. Let's see what Donald says. You can't have country without borders. People are coming in, and some of the some of those people, I read it even yesterday, there are a huge article about the tremendous crime that's taking place. It's like a crime wave, one of the most dangerous places on earth. And I bring that up, and all of a sudden, I'm a bad person. Well, Trump, Trump brought up the statistic, actually released by Univision, owned by Univision-owned yeah. magazine, and repeated by the Huffington Post that 80% of women who attempt a border crossing are raped in the process. 80%? Oh, my God. I don't mind apologizing for things Trump said. I can't apologize for the truth. I said tremendous crime is coming across. Everybody knows that's true. It's happening all the time. When I mention a crime, I'm a racist. I'm not a racist. I don't have a racist bone in my body. It's Sad, true fact, the amount of crime perpetrated at and coming over the, our borders is simply enormous. Trump's been lambasted for telling the truth, but the sad fact is that many Americans don't even know what the truth is. Let's hope this presidential campaign changes that. Well, I agree to, with that. Yeah, I, I, I do too. Let's listen to him for a second. Oh, God. Don't you have videos on television where they have to put in some idiot commercial? Uh, hang on one second until this commercial is over. Thank you very much. Boom. Okay. First, the pundits scoffed at the notion that Donald Trump would run for president. He is obviously never going to be the Republican nominee for president, and... He is obviously never going to be a candidate for president. Not quite so obvious. Then the commentator scoffed at his chances in the 2016 race, but so far the billionaire has stunned some of the self-styled experts. I sat down with him at his Trump Tower office in New York. Donald Trump, welcome. Thank you. Now that you're in second place in the polls. Political wins wow. story quoting Republicans, including Ari Fleischer, the former Bush White House spokesman, calls you roadside accident, he tarnishes everyone, irresponsible, divisive, hurtful. Does that hurt your feelings? No, I mean, Ari is somebody that nobody respects and nobody has any respect for him. I'm surprised you even waste your time quoting him. Uh, I'm number two, I'm doing well, I'm going up, and uh, people take me very seriously and they call me and they want to meet with me and at the top level of the Republican Party. and. Uh, frankly, I'm the one that's going to bring back health to the country. I'm going to make America great again. Politicians aren't going to do that. And everybody takes me very seriously. You are constantly denouncing some journalists who write about you and talk about you. Let me run through it. ABC's Martha Raddatz, unprofessional and biased, you say. NBC's Chuck Todd, a real loser. National News' Jonah Goldberg, dumb as a rock. Columnist George Will, a total dope. Fox's Charles Krahammer, a totally overrated clown. I don't think you really believe that. I think that they criticize you and your instinct, like a boxer, is to punch back. Well, I do punch back. I believe in punching back. But, you know, those are people that I didn't think have treated me fairly. Uh, a while ago they said, he's never going to run, he's never going to run. Then I ran, and he said, oh, he'll never file his papers. Then I filed my papers. Now they don't know what to say. And then all of a sudden I get these really big poll numbers, and they're really good, uh, although I think they're going to go higher. 
because I really think I people agree. agree with what I'm saying at the border and, and just agree with me, period. So is there a payoff for you in picking fights with it's a not-so-popular media? No, it's not a payoff. Look, I like people that treat me well. I don't have to be treated perfectly, and, and I just want to be treated fairly. Uh, they were unfair. They don't call me. They don't uh, mention anything. Martha Raddatz was acting like, oh, this must be a mistake. It must be a mistake. You know, I built a massive company. I've had number one bestsellers. I've had The Art of the Deal, which is just about the biggest business book of all time. I had tremendous success on television with The Apprentice. I went to the Wharton School of Finance, and I was a really good student, and it's one of the hardest schools in the world to get into. And then they treated like, you know, like, what, why is he here? Speaking of The Apprentice, NBC this week announcing it's severing its relationship with you over your comments on Mexican immigrants. First of all, why did, when you hit back at NBC, why did you drag Brian Williams into it? Well, I think that, you know, they protect Brian Williams, and he went around lying and telling things that weren't so, and uh, I think probably he shouldn't be on. But, you know, that's up to him. I actually think he shouldn't have done it, to be honest. I think he should have gone someplace else. But it was just something that I thought was appropriate. You know, you could bring up other names, too. Does it tarnish you a bit that this network that you've parted with so successfully over the years now says, you know, it's preserving its dignity by not wanting to do business with you anymore? Well, they were very unhappy because we had a great season last season with The Apprentice. They had, I think, a 2.4 rating. It was reported very – I mean, we did very, very well. And they were very unhappy when I ran because when you run, you're not allowed to, as you know, do a show. Right. So they were not happy with me, I will tell you that. And then when they saw the last week or two, the poll numbers so strong, you know, they figured, well, I'd run, I'd get out fast and still do the show. When they saw my poll numbers, one of them actually called me and said, wow, you're not getting out anytime soon, are you? And, you know, they, they renewed the apprentice. Right. This was renewed. And they thought I'd do it. And I can't do that. I want to make the country great again. I can't do that if I'm doing The Apprentice. So they were not thrilled with me. On the Mexican comments, why not say, maybe I went too far, poor choice of words, or even, I'm sorry? I don't have to say that. Look, the Mexican border is a sieve. People are pouring through our country, into our country. We don't know who they are, where they are. They come from all over the world, not Mexican. I employ thousands of Mexicans. I have, I've employed over the years many thousands of Mexicans. Right. I love the Mexican people. They're fantastic, and everybody knows that. But in terms of the border, it's a disgrace. Either we have a border or we don't have a country. You know, you can't have a country without borders. And people are coming in, and some of those people, and I read it even yesterday, there was a huge article about the tremendous crime that's taking place. It's like a crime wave. It's one of the most dangerous places on earth. And I bring that up, all of a sudden I'm a bad person. Bill Maher says you're a Frankenstein monster who never apologizes for every crazy thing you might say. Well, he also said I'm here to stay, and uh, which was actually interesting. So I brought up the fact that Mexico is killing us on trade, and I mean killing us. But you use like rapists. Well, rapists are coming in. Excuse me. I'll show you an article done I'm not by disputing it. It's a question of tone. You're not disputing. So if you're not disputing it, it's, it's why wouldn't of, I say it's it? It's a question of your tone, and it offended a lot of people. Excuse me. I read an article yesterday from Fusion, which is owned by Univision, right. as I'm told, and it talked about many of the women that cross the border are being raped. Many of them, a tremendous percentage. They actually said 80 percent. That's hard to believe it could be 80 percent. But they said the women coming across the border are raped. This is done by Fusion. It was printed in the Huffington Post, no friend of mine. Right. And I use the word rape, and all of a sudden everyone goes crazy. It said 80% of the women, which is hard to believe, to be honest with you, but their instrument. So I, think by I can more. never apologize, Howard. Yeah. I can never apologize for the truth. I don't mind apologizing for things, but I can't apologize for the truth. I said 
tremendous crime is coming across. Everybody knows that's true. And it's happening all the time. I so think when I make crime, all of a sudden I'm a racist. I'm not a racist. I, I, I don't have a racist bone in my body. I think over the years the press has been pretty good to you as you built this reputation as a worldwide dealmaker and builder and TV star. Uh, I wonder, though, if you're used to the extra kind of intense scrutiny that comes with being a presidential candidate. I think I am. Yeah. I mean, I've been out here for a long time doing this. What about when people start writing stories about your business background and say, and I know you say you've used the law to reduce your corporate debt, say, well, Trump's casino unit declared bankruptcy several okay. times. So let me just tell you about that. I made a fortune in Atlantic City. I did fantastically. I left about seven years ago, and I used the laws just like uh, Leon Black, just like Carl Icahn, just like Henry Kravis, just like Warren Buffett, just like everyone else. But when I use the laws, you're talking about the bankruptcy laws, I use them to my advantage. I'll buy a deal, throw it into bankruptcy immediately, negotiate a great deal, you know, with the banks and everything else. And you now when other people do it, they don't mention. When I do it, they say, oh, he used the bankruptcy laws. So I used the laws. I did a great job. I did a great job. I made a fortune in Atlantic City, but I left and... Actually, the financial media gave me great credit for timing because I left Atlantic City seven years ago. Uh huh. He declared bankruptcy. Right. Unless. Well, anyway. So that—that's Howard Trump. Uh, now, Howard. Howard. Howard Trump. Donald Trump. Trump. Yeah. Howard Trump. But nevertheless, I thought that was a great, great thing. And you know. He's no fool. Yeah, now I wrote it, Trump is Trump, love him or hate him, he might be the next president. Here's another little bit by Fox News. Hmm. The conservative tribune. There it is. Okay, let's oh, listen to this. No, that's not right. Still drawn road case? Uh, what? Over here. Watch, watch. See if I can get another, another great clip from... Uh, Ah, Television Fanatic is free. Click the button to get started. Go to that other here. I think that's the same one that we just. I think it's the same one. Yeah. That's the same one. Sorry, folks, it's not a different. Anyway, it was great that he fights back though like that. You know, here's something interesting. In, I, in Iraq, ISIS has banned this child from her being taught about evolution. Mm-hmm. In nine states in Washington, D.C., creationist voucher schools are doing the same to her with her tax dollars. With our tax dollars. Yeah, with our tax dollars. Imagine that. So in Iraq, ISIS has banned, they have a girl, banned her from being taught about evolution. In yeah. nine states in Washington, D.C., Creationist voucher schools are doing the same thing to her with our tax dollars. They're teaching, uh, you know, uh, they're not being taught evolution, not creation. A very long statement. This, this is something brand new. Can we well, to you have to also remember that it's the theory of evolution. And no, 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 about uh, disease is pouring over our border. Okay. I, I, we're doing Trump tonight because I, I really like this guy. I was just, uh, he's just a uh, great guy. He's a really, I'm just saying, I thought they would 
that audio right there? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I hope so. It'll be a lot easier for us. No. You'd have to download it. Oh, you right there. Okay. We're working on it. Hang on, folks. You have to download it, Leo. Okay, we'll wait for you. Wait a minute. Yes. Okay. Okay. Come on. Come on. I don't think you ought to bother. Come on. Okay. Donald Trump has released yet another statement. This one incredibly long, insisting that everything he said about Mexican immigrant criminal is spot on, and there is no room for misunderstanding or interpretation of what he said. Despite criticism from GOP rivals, Trump isn't backing down from his comments about how Mexico is forcing their undesirables into the U.S., saying now that tremendous infectious disease is pouring across the border. Trump went after the media for distorting what he said and, of course, also used the occasion to rail against all the companies distancing themselves from him declaring they've all taken the weak and very sad position of being politically correct, even though they are wrong in terms of what is good for our country. He also invoked, oh, I agree with that. They always do that. He also invoked Univision's recently announced plan to go public and bragged about how there were many rave reviews of his Mexico remarks at the time. But, of course, presenting Trump in anything other than complete context would be a disservice. So here's the Donald's full statement. Oh, my goodness. I don't see how there is any room for misunderstanding or misinterpretation of the statement I made on June 16th during my presidential announcement speech. Here is what I said, and yet this statement is deliberately distorted by the media. When Mexico, meaning the Mexican (laughs) government, sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you, pointing to the audience, They're not sending you pointing again. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems to us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists, and some, I assume, are very good people. But I speak to border guards, and they tell us what what we're getting, and it only makes common sense. They're sending us not the right people. It's coming from more than Mexico. It's coming from all over South and Latin America. And it's coming probably from the Middle East, but we don't know because we have no protection and we have no competence and we really don't know what's happening. It's got to stop and it's got to stop fast. What can be simpler or more accurately stated? The Mexican government is forcing their most unwanted people into the U.S. They are in many cases criminals and drug dealers and rapists. This was evident just this week when, in an example, a young woman in San Francisco was viciously killed by a five-time deported Mexican with a long criminal record, who was forced back into the U.S. because they didn't want him in Mexico. This is merely one of thousands of similar incidents throughout the U.S. In other words, the worst elements in Mexico are being pushed into the U.S. by the Mexican government. The largest suppliers of heroin, cocaine, and other illicit drugs are Mexican cartels that arrange to have Mexican immigrants trying to cross the borders and smuggle in the drugs. The Border Patrol knows this. Likewise, 
tremendous infectious diseases pouring across the border. The U.S. has become a dumping ground for Mexico and, and in fact, for many other parts of the world. On the other hand, many fabulous people come in from Mexico, and our country is better for it. These people are here legally, and we are, and are severely hurt by those coming in illegally. I am proud to say that I know many hardworking Mexicans. Many of them are working for and with me, and just like my country, my organization is better for it. The Mexican government wants an open border as long as it's one-way open border into the U.S. Not, all, not only are they killing us at the border, they are killing us on trade in the country of Mexico is making billions of dollars in doing so. I have the greatest respect for Mexico, and I love their people and their people's great spirit. The problem is, however, that their leaders are far smarter, more cunning, and better negotiators than ours. To the citizens of the U.S., who I will represent for better than anyone else as president, the Mexican government is not our friend, and why should they be when the relationship is totally one-sided in their favor on both illegal immigration and trade. I have pointed this out during my speeches and it is something that Mexico doesn't want me to say. In actuality, it was only after my significant rise in the polls that Univision, previously as my friend, went ballistic. I believe that my examples of bad trade deals for the U.S. was of even more concern to the Mexican government than my talk of border security. I have lost a lot during this presidential run defending the people of the U.S. I have always heard that it is very hard for a successful person to run for president. Macy's, NBC, Surter, and NASCAR have all taken the weak and very sad position of being politically <coughs> correct, even though they are wrong in terms of what is good for our country. Univision, because 70% of their business comes from Mexico, in my opinion, is being dictated to by the Mexican government. The last thing Mexico wants is Donald Trump as the president in that I will make great trade deals for the U.S. and I will have an impenetrable border. Only legally approved people will come through easily. Interestingly, Univision has just announced they are attempting to go public despite very poor and even negative earnings, which is not a good situation for a successful IPO or high stock price not to mention that I am currently suing them for breach of contract. Remember, Univision is the one who began this charade in the first place, and they are owned by one of Hillary Clinton's biggest backers. Oh, oh how interesting. Whoa. After the speech was made, there were numerous compliments and, indeed, many rave reviews. There was very little criticism. It wasn't until a week after my announcement that the people started to totally distort these very easy-to-understand words. If there was something stated incorrectly, it would have been brought up immediately with great enthusiasm. The issues I have addressed and continue to address are vital steps to making America great again. Additionally, I would like, I would be the best jobs president that God ever created. Let's get to work. All right. <laughs> nothing humble about Donald Trump. All right, Donald, go, Donald. The guy, the guy, the Good guy. response, I, I have to admit. I like this guy. I, know, I, I always do. Uh, mass extinction. Wow. It's the end of the world as we know it. Citing abrupt climate disruption, evolutionary biologist Guy Ferguson argues. Guy that McPherson. 
as which time he had identified 24 self-reinforcing positive feedback loops triggered by human-caused climate disruption. Today, the number has grown to more than 50 and continues to increase. A self-reinforcing positive feedback loop is akin to a vicious cycle, a circle, rather. It, it arrives the impact of anthropogenic climate disruptions. Uh, an example would be methane released in the Arctic. Uh, massive amounts of methane are currently locked in the permafrost, which is now melting rapidly. As the permafrost melts, methane, a greenhouse gas, 100 times more potent than carbon dioxide on the short time scale, is released into the atmosphere, warming it further, which in turn causes more permafrost to melt and so on. As soon as this summer, we are likely to begin seeing periods of an ice-free Arctic. These periods will arrive by the summer of 2016 at the latest, according to the Naval Postgraduate School report. Once the summer ice begins melting away completely, even for short periods, methane releases will worsen dramatically. Is it possible that on top of the vast quantities of carbon dioxide from fast fossil fuels that continue to enter the atmosphere in record amounts yearly, an increased release of methane could signal the beginning of the sort of process that led to the great dying? McPherson, like the scientists involved in the recent study that confirms the arrival of the sixth great extinction, fears that the situation is already so serious and so many self-reinforcing feedback loops are already in play that we are well along in the process of causing our own extinction. Furthermore, McPherson remains convinced that it could happen far more quickly than generally believed possible. In the course of just the next few decades or even sooner, Truthout caught up with McPherson in Washington State, where he was recently on a lecture tour, sharing his dire analysis of how far along we already are regarding HD. Zahir Jamil, how many positive feedback loops have you identified up until now, and what does this ever-increasing number of them indicate? McPherson, I can't wrap my mind around the ever-increasing number of self-reinforcing feedback loops. A long time ago, when there were about 20 of them, I believed evidence would accumulate in support of existing loops, but we couldn't possibly identify any more. Ditto for when we hit 30 and 40, there are now more than 50, and it keeps climbing. And the evidence for existing feedback loops continues to grow. Okay. In addition to these positive feedback loops feeding within themselves, they also interact among each other. The methane released from the Arctic Ocean is exacerbated and contributes to reduced Oedo, reflectively of solar radiation by the ice, as the Arctic ice declines. Well, packed on the methane. methane released by permafrost, and it's obvious we're facing a shaky future. Yeah, but, but you know what? The Antarctic shell has increased by over, over a third. Or what it was, it, it's got it's got incredibly uh, uh, large, mm. but in, you know the, the ice ice pack down there. Mm. But industrial activity continually adds reflective particles into Earth's atmosphere, particularly known as sulfates producing by burning oil, coal. Rather. Clean coal has a lower concentration of sulfate than dirty coal. These partic- particles reflecting coming sunlight 
thus affecting cooling the planet. Artificially cooling the planet. Yeah, but but you know mm-hmm. what this uh, what this article does in the state, and it goes on and on and on with these, these these yo-yo scientists. They don't talk about about the chemtrailing of this planet. You know, mass extinction. They they don't they don't talk about the geoengineering of this planet right now, as we live, as okay. we breathe. It's a single nerve that can... Yeah, yeah, this is good stuff here. I, I love this. Um, but, you know, since we, we cover all kinds of, of, of areas of interest in our show tonight, there's a single nerve that connects all of your vital organs that must be... And it might just be the future of medicine. Yeah. When Maria Vinrand, a former gymnast from Volendam in the Netherlands, found that the only way she could put her socks on in the morning was to lie on her back with her feet in the air, she had to accept that things had reached a crisis point. (laughs) I had become so stiff I couldn't stand up, she says. It was a great shock because I'm an active person. It was 1993. Virand was in her late 40s and working two jobs, athletics coach and and carer for disabled people. But a condition now began taking over her life. I had to stop my jobs and look for another one as I became increasingly disabled myself. By the time she was diagnosed, seven years later, she was in severe pain and couldn't walk anymore. Her knees, ankle, wrists, elbows, shoulder joints were hot and inflamed. It was rheumatoid arthritis, a common but incurable autoimmune disorder in which the body attacks its own cells. In this case, the lining of her joints producing chronic inflammation and bone deformity. Waiting rooms outside rheumatoid arthritis clinics used to be full of people in wheelchairs. That doesn't happen as much now because a new wave of drugs called biopharmaceuticals, such as highly targeted genetically engineered proteins, which can really help, not everyone feels better, however, even in countries with the best health care. At least 50% of patients continue to suffer symptoms. Like many patients, Verind was given several different medications, including painkillers, a cancer drug called methotrexate to dampen her entire immune system, and biopharmaceuticals to block the production of specific inflammatory proteins. The drugs did their job well enough, at least, they did until one day in 2011 when they stopped working. I was on a holiday with my family, and my arthritis suddenly became terrible. I couldn't walk. My daughter-in-law had to wash me. Rind was rushed to the hospital where she was hooked up to an intravenous strip and given another cancer drug, one that targeted her white blood cells. It helped, she admitted, but she was nervous about relying on such a drug long-term. Luckily, she would not have to. She was resigning herself to a life of disability in monthly chemotherapy. A new treatment was being developed that would profoundly challenge our understanding of how the brain and body interact to control the immune system. It would open up a whole new approach to treating rheumatoid arthritis and other autoimmune diseases using the nervous system to modify inflammation. It would even lead to research on how we might use our minds to stave off disease. And like many good ideas, it came from an unexpected source. 
Kevin Tracy, a neurosurgeon based in New York, a man haunted by by personal events, a man with a mission. My mom died from a brain tumor when I was five years old. It was very sudden and unexpected, he says. And I learned from that experience that the brain and the nerves are responsible for health. This drove his decision to become a brain surgeon. Then during his hospital training, he was looking after a patient with serious burns who suddenly suffered severe inflammation. She was an 11-month-old baby girl called Janice who died in my arms. These traumatic moments made him a neurosurgeon who thinks a lot about inflammation. He believes it was this perspective that enabled him to interpret the result of an accidental experiment in a new way. In the late 1990s, Tracy was experimenting with rats' brains. We had injected an anti-inflammatory drug into the brain because we were studying the beneficial effects of blocking inflammation during stroke, he recalls. We were surprised to find that when the drug was present in the brain, It also blocked inflammation in the spleen and in other organs and in the rest of the body. Yet the amount of drugs we had injected was far too small to have to get into the bloodstream and travel to the rest of the body. After months of puzzling over this, I finally hit upon the idea that the brain might be using the nervous system, specifically the vagus nerve, to tell the spleen to switch off inflammation everywhere. It was an Extraordinary idea. If Tracy was right, inflammation in body tissue was being directly regulated by the brain. Communication between the immune system specialist cells in our organs and bloodstream and the electrical connections of the nervous system had been considered impossible. Now Tracy was apparently discovering that the two systems were intricately linked. The first critical test of this exciting hypothesis was to cut the vagus nerve. When Tracy and his team did, injecting the anti-inflammatory drug in the brain no longer had an effect on the rest of the body. The second test was to stimulate the nerve without any drug in the system. Because the vagus nerve, like all nerves, communicates information through electrical signals, It meant that we should be able to replicate the experiment by putting a nerve stimulator on the vagus nerve in the brainstem to block inflammation and explain, he explains. That's what we did. And that was the breakthrough experiment. The vagus nerve starts in the brainstem just behind the ears. We're looking at an image of a human brainstem illuminated with It travels down each side of the neck across the chest and down through the abdomen. Vagus is the Latin for wandering, and indeed this bundle of nerve fibers roves through the body, networking the brain with the stomach and the digestive tract, the lungs, the heart, the spleen, intestines, liver, and the kidneys, not to mention a range of other nerves that are involved in speech, eye contact, facial expression, even your ability to tune in to other people's voices. It's made of thousands and thousands of fibers. 80% of them are sensory, meaning that the vagus nerve reports back to your brain what is going on in your organs. Operating far below the level of our conscious minds, the vagus nerve is vital for keeping our bodies healthy. It is an essential part of the parasympathetic nervous system, which is responsible for calming organs 
after the stress fight-or-flight adrenaline response to danger. Not all vagus nerves are the same, however. Some people have strong vagus activity, which means their bodies can relax faster after stress. The strength of your vagus response is known as your vagal tone, and it can be determined by using an electrocardiogram to measure heart rate. Every time you breathe in, your heart beats faster in order to speed the flood of oxygenated blood around your body. Breathe out and your heart rate slows. This variability is one of the many things regulated by the vagus nerve, which is active when you breathe out but suppressed when you breathe in. So the bigger your difference in heart rate when breathing in and out, the higher your vagal tone. Research shows that a high vagal tone makes your body better at regulating blood glucose levels reducing the likelihood of diabetes, stroke, and cardiovascular disease. Low vagal tone, however, has been associated with chronic inflammation. As part of the immune system, inflammation has a useful role helping the body to heal after injury, for example, but it can damage organs and blood vessels if it persists when it is not needed. One of the vagus nerves jobs is to reset the immune system and switch off productions of proteins that fuel inflammation. Low vagal tone means this regulation is less effective and inflammation can become excessive, such as in Maria Vrin's rheumatoid arthritis or in toxic shock syndrome, which Kevin Tracy believes killed little Janice. Having found evidence of a role for the vagus in a range of chronic inflammatory diseases, including rheumatoid arthritis, Tracy and his colleagues wanted to see if it could become a possible route for treatment. The vagus nerve works as a two-way messenger, passing electrochemical signals between the organs and the brain. A chronic inflammatory, inflammatory disease, Tracy figures figured messages uh, from the brain telling the spleen to switch off production of particular inflammatory protein. Tumor necrosis factor weren't being set, and uh, perhaps the signal could be boosted. He spent the next decade meticulously mapping all the neural pathways involving in regulatory TNF from the brainstem to the mitochondria inside our cells. Eventually, with a robust understanding of how the vagus nerve controlled inflammation, Tracy was ready to test whether it was possible to intervene with human disease. Wow. That's and, a long article. Yeah, it is. It tells yeah. about the know, trial. Oh, very long. Very, very long. But, I, you know... Go to the last paragraph of public <laughs> Okay. that the human is one entity, mind and body are one. It sounds logical, but it's not how we looked at it before. We didn't have the science to agree with what may seem intuitive. Now we have new data and new insights. And Maria Vrind, who despite severe rheumatoid arthritis, can now cycle pain-free around Volendam and has a new lease on life because of this guy. It's not a miracle, they told me, how it works through electrical impulses, but it feels like magic. I don't want them to remove it ever. I have my life back. It must be some kind of stimulation to that nerve. Yeah, it was. That he's created. It changed how we view disease. Yeah. 
So I'm, I'm going, rather than read the whole thing, we, which it's we just already amazing. tried to do, but we only read half of it. So, uh, but I, I would I would highly go to Ben Business Insider Science. Single nerve that connects all your vital organs. It might just be the future of medicine. It's one nerve. Vagus nerve. Well, it has a Latin term to it. No, but it's it, it just amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Me too. Oh, I was so pleased to hear marijuana legalization is an issue filed in Massachusetts for 2016. Good for them. I think so. That's very good. We should do it on Connecticut. They will. A Massachusetts Today, June 29, 2015, Bay State Repeals submitted a marijuana legislation initiative state officials. Intended to go on the ballot in 2016, it would repeal the criminality of marijuana, expunge bat, past convictions, regulate the, and sales taxes, tax, uh, sales. tax sales, rather, all while preventing access to minors. Good. And the, the regulation and taxes are reasonable, so eliminating the black market should be able to succeed. And the filing uh, was with the Attorney General Office and still will be tweaked slightly before going to election. Yes, it'll uh, be on the ballot? Yeah, it's going to be on the ballot to 16. Uh, they, they probably will do it. They, they decriminalized it two years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and since then, they you know, it's medically accessible, it's decriminalized, and now it's valid. I think marijuana, I think... Um, I think they'll... they'll uh, the government will sell it. I think they will. The state will sell it to make a fortune. Oh, God, yeah. The filing was with Attorney General Robinson. and still is tweaked slightly. Uh, one of the concerns bolstering this effort is the fear of political cronyism and monopoly dominating of the emerging marketplace. Well, that's a good question, yeah. Yeah, the cronies will, will get the, the best spots. Uh-huh. Free enterprise and entrepreneurship are necessary parts of the post-prohibition landscape. But the playing field must be fair, with mom-and-pop shops able to operate, and also with individuals not restricted in growing cannabis themselves if they so wish. Absolutely right. Another, that's what they did in Washington, Washington um, State. Uh, State. Another committee, one with more business input, is also in, uh, expected to submit uh, an initiative sometimes within the next month. The two committees are on cordial terms. They have been communicating extensively over policy ideas and political considerations. As we enter the signature gathering phase this fall, a possibility exists for the two campaigns to coalesce around one of the initiatives. But regardless of how things play out, citizens of Massachusetts will have an opportunity to vote an end to prohibition. Good for them. That's going to put pressure on the surrounding states. God bless Massachusetts. Oh, for crying out loud, you just drop over the, the Massachusetts. Well, that's why they'll legalize, they'll do the same course. thing in the, you know, the yeah, yeah. Oh, I love this so much to hear this. Uh, a large group of a thousand protesters protested uh, a Christie's uh, presidential announcement. Oh, good. And they were all from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody but Lila and I. There's, there aren't too many people. Oh, 
About a thousand protesters turned out at the high school baseball field to tell what they call the truth about Chris Christie. They came from across New Jersey, most of them teachers in red T-shirts, who remain furious with the governor for not fully funding their pensions. Now they're angry he's running for president. The governor says he's telling it like it is. We're here to tell it like it is. His policies have been disastrous for New Jersey. They would be disastrous for the country. Livingston High School teacher Anthony Rosamelia says he took particular offense that Christie chose to declare his candidacy at his school after the governor spent years castigating teachers and cutting education funding. Regardless. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher, a cop, a fireman, a public worker. It doesn't matter. If you're a working person in New Jersey, this governor doesn't care one bit for you. I'm here because the rest of the country needs to see that he cannot be trusted. He lies. And, and liars don't deserve to be our leader. Resignation letter citizen action sent to Christie today, urging him to sign it because, as a presidential candidate hopscotching across the country, his priorities have shifted. This governor can't be making decisions that affect our state and our families based upon what conservative voters want to hear him say in South Carolina or in Iowa. We will not accept the governor who will make his job a part-time job here in New Jersey. I'm here to stand up and speak out for my family and the thousands of others who, despite the governor's promises, remain homeless since Superstorm Sandy. Keep your word, Christy! Christus Ferba arrived with other Sandy victims who still can't go home because their houses haven't been repaired. She's moved half a dozen times and her kids are suffering. She finds Christie's presidential declaration offensive. He's on a bid for the White House. They don't care what color their house is. They just want to go home. He promised he would help and has done absolutely nothing. It's been a struggle. We've spent everything that we have to live outside of our homes. You all know how dangerous this governor is, because when he gets inside those town halls and he leans forward like this and he looks you in the eye, he's going to make contact with the voters who haven't experienced the damage and terror that he has rained upon the state of New Jersey. So brothers and sisters, we've got work to do. Protesters say they know the governor can't hear them, but they say they hope that voters in primary states like New Hampshire are listening. In Livingston, I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJTV News.
I meanwhile I say that if I make a promise, I will keep it. And that outside my faith and my family, my greatest love will always be for the amazing country. That's Jim Webb. Okay. Well, I guess that's all he said. But, you know, he's an incredible guy. When I saw him first, I was amazed. <laughs> this is campaigning, man. He has 62 pictures in there. Oh. Yeah. Oh, well, our folks, our folks that are listening can't see those pictures. No, you can't see them, unfortunately. But, you know, I'm going to ask you to uh, go to uh, Jim, uh, Jim Webb. You know, go to his site. Jim Webb. If you're up, if you happen to be on my website, which is org, just go to the link section. You'll see Jim Webb for 2016. Um, I'm a volunteer for his campaign proudly, and uh, you know, I hope that uh, something happens for him. Yeah, I hope he gets some traction. I do. I, I really do. You know, I hope, it's an I hope. uphill battle. But, you know, he's an interesting candidate and probably one of the best that, I, that I've seen, you know, as far as credential-wise. And, uh... Well, that's a threat to uh, the corporations. They don't want anybody oh, who's, who's qualified. Threat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, they might think... He's a threat to anybody. He's a threat to Bernie Sanders. He's a threat to Hillary Clinton. You know? And to those Republicans. And I think that's why he finally entered, because I, I think he realizes that he can do it.
Oh, he'll clobber those people. Someone in the party ought to start some sort of petition saying if Trump is going to, on the stage, I'm going to be there. I'm not going to be on there with him, Jordan told the AP. I'm toying with this idea. Trump's remarks about illegal immigrants from Mexico who are criminals, drug dealers, and rapists set off a firestorm with candidates like Bush and Rubio attacking Trump for his remarks. Ubrio said Trump's comments were offensive and divisive. Bush says they were extraordinarily ugly and not reflective of the Republican Party. Other donors like Foster Freeze, who supports former Senator Rick Santorum, oh, who got one person to come and listen to him, reportedly sent a letter to the Republican National Committee Chairman, Rince Priebus, and 16 White House hopefuls recently, asking them to join the effort to inspire a more civil way of debating and end the Republican-on-Republican violence. Our candidates will benefit if they only submit to Ronald Reagan's 11th commandment, thou shall not speak ill of fellow Republicans. Oh, God. Reportedly wrote in a letter in which he cited the backing of casino magnate Sheldon Adelson and Chicago Cubs co-owner Todd Ricketts. Freeze reportedly added in his letter, if they drift off the civility reservation, let's all immediately communicate that to them. Last year on Breitbart News, Santorum mentioned that one of the GOP's biggest problems is that, unlike Democrats, the party's donors and grassroots are not perfectly aligned. Santorum said elite Republican donors who most likely mostly live in liberal cities uh, that uh, that are called the little dark blue areas, wants conservatives to tone down their rhetoric and embrace more moderate policies because they do not want to be to get beat up in liberal newspapers and country clubs. Okay. All right. Whatever that means. But it's That's really it. it's really kind of interesting. I thought you know you have a silent majority back. Let's see what this is. And me, I have to be here tonight. It made me enjoy life more to do whatever I want to do, but I have no fear about it. Uh, forgive me for this. This is 
by uh, by uh, Bob Ball. Oh yeah. Not a bit surprised that the Federal Reserve got to the Senate. I had expected uh, Bernie Sanders to offer 604, which was the same as 1207, which is audit the Fed bill. And at the last minute, he switched it and watered it down. And really, it adds nothing. It's a possibility that it even makes the current conditions worse. This is essentially the bill plus more of the bill we beat in the House Financial Committee, the Mel Watts bill. But this is so disappointing to me that this happened, especially since uh, for months now I've worked with uh, Bernie on this. He introduced the bill in our language, which was 1207. But as we see, speak, this is Thursday night. They are working on this on the Senate floor, and we need to get as many messages as possible to any senator you can think of, especially to Bernie Sanders' office, that we don't want this version. We want a true audit of the Fed. We need to know what the Open Market Committee does, and we need to know what they're doing overseas with the agreements with central banks and financial institutions and other governments. And in this bill that is being offered, that amendment that is being offered now does not include this. So I am sure that Senator DeMint is working on this and may come up with an alternative. But the only thing that would be fair to the American people, after all this work and energy that we've put into this, is have an up-and-down vote on what was our 1207 in the House, which is 604 in the Senate. Yes, they may water it down and they may win it, but if they don't have an honest vote on the Senate floor, to me it would be very, very discouraging. But it also shows what kind of forces we're up against. The President doesn't want this. The leadership on Wall Street doesn't want it. The Federal Reserve doesn't want it. So they're powerful forces. But just think of the people that do want it. You know, everybody from progressives and liberal Democrats to, uh, to libertarians and constitutionalists and the average person, so many of the Tea Party uh, members, they all want this. They want transparency, and they want to find out what's going on at the Fed. So it's very, very important. It's a crucial time. And whether I doubt if they'll vote tonight, which is Thursday, but they may vote tomorrow. Who knows? They may vote Monday. But it's vital and urgent that we do as much as we can to bombard the Senate with information that we, the people, deserve to have an up and down vote on audit the Fed bill. Yeah, that was wrong, Paul. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's get into that. So we want to thank everybody who joined us tonight. Mm -hmm. Thanks, folks. And uh, we will have a union show tomorrow night. Yeah. our union show. We hope you have enjoy and, the uh, rest of your evening. Good yeah, night, folks. Did. Good night, everybody. Join us tomorrow.